Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and today I am streaming all by myself today, so be patient with me. If uh, anything goes awry, I'm going to try to troubleshoot it on the fly. But we have a wonderful guest today, um, Dr. Haley Miller, who is hopefully just as patient as I am. I know she is because she's been patient with me this morning, so thank you, Dr. Miller. Dr. Miller is going to open a DPC practice here in a few months, and she is um, internal medicine and specializes in um, diabetes, and um, she is a diabetic herself, and um, you do not want to miss this show because, as you know, it's been a hot topic in the news for years now, I should say, about the price of insulin, and Dr. Miller is an expert in insulin pricing, and insulin doesn't have to be expensive, and there are ways that you can get it um, inexpensively, and Dr. Miller is going to educate um, you, the viewer, and the listener, and of me, because I want to know these things too, so I can uh, um, tell more people about it, because I'm not always sure how people can afford their $600 vial of insulin, especially considering when I got out of pharmacy school 25 years ago, insulin was $25 a vial. So um, with that, I'm going to let Dr. Miller introduce herself, where she went to med school, where she started practicing, and and the name of her new practice, and, and um, why she went into DPC. Dr. Miller, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, I graduated from the University of Washington, go Huskies. Go Huskies, uh, yes! Right, yes. <laughs> um, and then I, I had two kids in medical school, so I've traveled around quite a bit. I did a residency at Gunnarsson Lutheran in La Crosse, um, and then accepted a fast-track position for fellowship in, at the University of Utah, where I did two years of fellowship. Um, I hated binge research. I didn't want to make my swim. And so I left early because I just wanted to take care of patients. And diabetes has kind of been my gig since I was 10. And it turns out that I really like taking care of it. Um, so I practiced in Utah for a little bit, moved to Wyoming for student loan repayment. And then now I'm up in Missoula, Montana and have a, a wonderful life with my family up here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit. I am correct. Um, I heard you correct on our pre-conference call that um, you are diabetic yourself. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. I have had type 1 diabetes since I was 10. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, how you were diagnosed and, and um, you know, the journey that, that you had um, when you were diagnosed with diabetes? Yeah. So I, um, when I was you know, we were on our way to Billings because in I grew up in a small town in Wyoming and there's not uh, Costco or back then Costco didn't exist, but there wasn't malls there. So we went to the mall in Billings, Montana. And um, on the way back, my parents had to pull over like five times for me to go to the bathroom. Um, my dad's an EMT. And so he was like, yeah, this is weird. I drank like a full pot of tea at the Chinese restaurant on the way home. And they said, okay, we got to get her tested. So they took me in, had some blood work, work done. And um, the weird thing about it, I've wanted to be a doctor since I was, since before I was diagnosed. When they gave me the idea that I might have to give shots, I was super stoked. Um, getting to play with needles seemed like, it's like, oh, this is just like a doctor, I get to do that. And so the my kind of experience with it was a little bit different than I think most mm -hmm. people, because it was getting to do something medical. Um, and, you know, growing up with diabetes, you know, things have changed tremendously in both therapy and technology since I was diagnosed. When I first got it, they, I was testing where you put your blood on the strip, you time it for 
60 seconds, you wipe it off, you time it for 60 seconds, and then you're trying to match the color. And I mean, that could get you nowhere. So um, everything is kind of advanced uh, tremendously. But I do remember the $30 insulin um, when Lance was launched uh, originally and without insurance. So that kind of is a sticking point for me. Well, and it was over the counter then too, correct? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, regular and MPH was over the counter. Um, but it wasn't when they launched the insulin analogs uh, or the more, the newer insulin analogs, they made those be prescription only. And there's right. some different reasons for that. Yeah, correct. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that journey. I'm going to imagine that that's one of the things that, um, you know, drove you into medicine a little bit and especially to specialize in diabetes. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, I wanted, I mean, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon before I got diabetes. And when I went into medical school, I really wanted to want to do dermatology because, you know, it seemed like it would be a pretty easier schedule. And I knew that they made a quite a bit more money. I wanted to not want to do diabetes because when you live with something all the time, it's like, well, I don't know, it seems kind of cliche, but it ended up being something that just really kind of spoke to me and I couldn't stop. I can't stop reading about it. I'm obsessed with it and it's, it's interesting to me. So it's kind of a, it's a win-win for patients and, and me, cause I get to learn a lot about it. Okay. That's awesome. Um, thanks for sharing that story. So Tell us about your journey into medical school. Um, so what, uh, I, what are you, what, what's well, I, I guess, <laughs> when did you graduate? Let's just go with that. And then you started practicing and now here you are, you're going to open up a DPC practice and tell us, I guess, what, how you, how you transitioned into that or are going to transition into that. So I, uh, I, had wanted to be a doctor since I was a kid. Now medicine was back then was way different. Um, and it was how medicine, I think, used to be was probably a little bit better than it is today. Um, and I, you know, my whole life was based on kind of building my resume to get into medical school. And so when I applied, I got in and and after I had my son, I was like, well, I don't know, man, this seems there's a lot of bullying in medical school, you know, with the hierarchy or there was when I was young with the residents and the, you know, you're this level, you're this level. And it just seemed it, it was way less what I thought it was going to be, but I endured and um, kind of made it through there. Um, I suffered from burnout. Um, halfway through my residency. Um, and I think that that's something that has really pushed me for a long time is, you know, my residency, I spent 60 to 80% of the time writing notes. Um, and I felt like I was a secretary and that, uh, or an administrative assistant, I guess is the right word now. <laughs> um, it, it just, I wasn't taking care of patients. I wasn't with the patients. I, I was basically just writing notes, writing notes. And I was like, what the heck, this is nuts. Um, fellowship was similar and, you know, I understand that, yes, we have to put in our time and, and, you know, if I were the note taker for residency and fellowship, then that would be one thing, but, you know, that was really just the evolution of, of medicine. Um, and as, you know, I started practicing, it's, oh, you get to write this many notes. No, it's this many. And you got to click here and you click there, click that here, click there. 
And the focus came um, focused more and more away from taking care of people and and higher on profits. And I it, that there is a, a disconnect for me. And so if someone comes in and they really need something, I'm not going to say, oh, I, I'm not going to take care of you unless you pay me. I think that's um, messed up. Um, and I think that seeing someone in a 15 minute appointment uh, and charging them full price is also wrong. And so well, and tell us what I guess tell us tell us what full price is because what full price is and what really people and what really the insurance and what really the clinics get reimbursed are totally different like they charge $300 for a visit but they might get paid 60, correct? Right. That's um well that's my understanding. So it's it's become a lot more complex with uh, Medicare and Macra and MIPS and all the these different kind of quality measurements because they also pay uh, uh, annual sum to the facility based on what they have deemed quality measures. But what that just means is different check boxes and things that you have to do to, to get it. And if you don't meet their quality measures, then you don't get the money. And so you end up losing money. Um, so the charges, yes, they, I, I, they never tell, um, us at least in the outpatient, uh, medicine world how much it costs for a patient i some patients will say i got a bill from you for this much money but i i have no idea um but i my understanding is that the reimbursement is much less and i i think that there is i think that there's a lot of kind of finger pointing um i know the hospitals are profitable and so it's i i can't say that how how it's done and what is being done is is right or wrong. Right. And well, I, I think one of the issues is, and we've talked about it many times in the show, and we've had, you know, doctors that are experts in it, is is lack of transparency in pricing in healthcare. And I'm assuming um, that's one of the reasons why you're going into your own private practice and it's going to be a direct primary care practice. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So uh, yeah, pricing transparency is really, I think, important as is time. And so one of the things that um, I love about medicine is getting to know people um, and really learning what their obstacles are and figuring out different solutions for them. But so you can't do that in 15 minutes or 10 minutes or seven minutes, which is an average appointment with a provider. And that's really what they want you to do. If you can't get 20 to 30 patients in, you're not, you're not meeting the need. And, and for those physicians who can get folks in and out, um, I, I think that that quality suffers, and it's it's shortchanging patients. Um, so the with direct primary care, patients pay uh, directly, um, and they have access to me twenty four seven. Or depending on on the subscription, it kind of depends on. I'm working on my pricing structure right now, but the there's nobody in the, in between taking money, taking profit. You know, the insurance company's not taking a cut. The hospital's not taking a cut. It's not being driven so that we're just making money off of the patient. It's really to, to take care of the people who I see to ensure that they have the best care and also so that I can pay um, my bills. And so it's me providing the service that they want and need um, and them paying for it to the person who's providing that service instead of paying a bunch of other people. All right. So what's the name of okay. your practice and when are you um, looking at opening up? So my practice will be called Mountain is Mountain States Diabetes. 
And I'm hoping to open, I say March 1st, um, but I'm really hoping to open February 1st, but we'll, March is like that, that <laughs> official start date. Um, it's, it takes a lot more to start a business than I think most people ever realize. And so it's a, it's a learning curve, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I still am doing a lot of different stuff on the side, but. Good, 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 good. Yeah. So, um, so tell us a little bit about, we, we, I know people are really excited to hear about the, you know, the pricing of insulin. And I know you've spoke on that topic a lot. We've already discussed it, how when you were, when you were a, a um, newly diagnosed diabetic that um, you, you know, insulin is $25 a vial. So explain how all of a sudden it's, you know, 20 times that or more. Um, well, actually it's, it's, uh, I think it's 3000% higher, um, for pricing, uh, now than, than what it was when it was launched. So, um, when Lantus came, uh, available, one of the things that, that they did was they said, okay, you need a prescription. So Lantus was 30 bucks and, and truthfully, after the first year of it being on the market, the maker of the product was profitable. And so that means that, you know, normally it, it takes a while to be profitable of a new product because you have all that R&D. But what that means is that that price was enough to cover their costs, cover the research, and also give them money. So that's fantastic. Now, in 2007, the Medicare Part D um, was implemented. And what one of the stipulations in Medicare Part D uh, specifies that uh, the government cannot negotiate prices with drug companies. And I, I'm not sure how that got in. I don't know. I don't know how that made it through. I, I assume people just didn't read or say, oh, this might be weird. I think that they thought it would be lead to a more free market and, and price containment. But what it ended up doing is the insulin companies and the, the drug manufacturers I think they, I, I, I always envision that they're all sitting at a table and they kind of look around at each other like, <laughs> why charge 30 bucks when we can charge 300? And it, it didn't happen that quickly. It started and it jacked, they jacked up the price and it's like Medicare is, uh, comprises the majority of people with diabetes. The focus of marketing was um, on people with type two diabetes and getting them on insulin for um, Lantus originally. And so when, when they, when you think about it, it, it makes more sense. If the government can't negotiate it, it's stupid to charge just 30 bucks when we could, you know, triple our revenue or quadruple or whatever. And the, and that sort of led to, um, it's just kind of a snowball effect. If there was an excellent publication, I think it was either in the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg, or I can't remember exactly where it's in my presentation, um, but that shows the the you know the price of Humalog will go up, and within maybe 12 hours, the price of Novalog goes up, mm -hmm. and it, it, it you follow the step rise pattern. And um, the question of price gouging has been raised uh, frequently, and I believe there are have been investigations, but it doesn't, there is no transparency with insulin pricing. And 
whenever you ask why is insulin so expensive drug companies will say oh it's the it's the insurance companies and the insurance companies say oh it's the drug companies and then everybody's like oh it's the middlemen but the thing is is that profit the profit margins have gone up and up and up and the a uh, large percentage of the profits that are made from insulin sales um, come just from the United States, even though we comprise a small fraction of the diabetes in the world. So tell us a little bit about um, how people can, with ex- expensive insulin going up 3,000 3, times, tell us how, um, if you, you know, as a doctor, you must prescribe those quite often, and how can you help people afford those that medication? I, I think that that's one of the reasons why people like um, to come to see me because I am a cheapskate and I have diabetes. And so being a really frugal person with diabetes is great for lots of other people, especially when they're being um, ripped off. So uh, there are lots and lots and lots of loopholes. Um, are the newer insulins better? Yes. Is it hard to prove? Yes. One of the reasons why it's hard to prove is that when we're using the older insulins, you're testing the blood sugars four times a day and blood sugars are there all the time. Just because I'm talking to you and you don't know what my blood sugar is right now, doesn't mean it's not there. And so the the variability and the risks of hypoglycemia with the different medications, uh, the older medications, um, it is so pronounced that that the newer medications actually do add a significant value. But so I, I think that they're they are something that everybody should be on. I just don't think that they should be paying the the price that that's necessary. And so one of the things that I do is find every loophole that we possibly can. And most people, we can get the medications for a reasonable price, if not um, 25 bucks a month. Um, and it's just patient assistance, samples, um, which pharmacy, which they're, and it's, it's a lot of troubleshooting and looking, but I feel like that's a better use of time for me helping them find their medications so that they can take it um, than me seeing 15 people in an hour. Yeah, and, and thank you for being an advocate and and watching out for your patients um, because unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't understand that or they don't take the time to do that. They don't understand what the price of drugs are. Um, and I think one of the things about the lack of transparency is, and you kind of mentioned it, is when, when Medicare Part D was passed, see, when I first got out of pharmacy school in 1994, there was no Medicare prescription drug plan. So the price of drugs had to be competitive for at least 60% of your market because 60% right. of your patients were on Medicare and they didn't have any insurance coverage. So they were literally paying cash. So the price of drugs was a lot more competitive then. And then when Medicare Part D got passed, I think in 2007 when, is when it went into law, um, you know, the price of prescription drugs went up 19%. And and why is that? Largely, that is, is because somebody else was paying the bill. So the drug company knew they could keep raising the price. And just like with diabetes, they know that people need those drugs. Right. And so they just keep raising the price because somebody is going to pay the bill or people die. That's unfortunate, but that's what happens. So I actually wrote a book about it. If you look back here, Sickened right there is my book. And it's called... I'm sickened how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. There's a six step solution on how to fix it. And the first step solution is, you know, people be proactive in their health. And with diabetes, that matters. Whether you're on insulin, whether you're type one diabetic, whether you're type two diabetic, whether you're on insulin or not, whether you're on Humulin in, Humulin R of 25 bucks a month or a $600 a month um, um, insulin, 
will you tell me how being proactive in your health is important with a diabetic? Um, so diabetes isn't usually the what, what kills us, it's heart disease and stroke. And so that's one thing that most people, I like to kind of talk to them about, you know, diabetes can definitely kill you immediately. It can cause um, a lot, but we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can so that we're, it, we're, something doesn't kind of sneak up and get you at, and abbreviate your life a lot, a lot more quickly. So being proactive is really important. Exercising um, can actually also help maintain blood sugars a lot better. It can improve your insulin sensitivity. It can decrease the amount of insulin that you require. But it also is really good for your heart and the, your circulation. And the more proactive kind of healthy steps that we can take, we're just trying to hedge all of our bets that we're protect, protecting ourselves against um, the things that tend to cause morbidity and mortality or harm and death and and dismemberment with people with diabetes. So I think sometimes in our traditional healthcare system, we hear dietitians talk about, um, oh, you know, don't worry, eat 80% carbs and you can just turn your insulin pump up or take more insulin. Are you saying that's not necessarily the right step? No. No, well, am I, I, am I, I'm, I'm, yeah. am I being facetious or am I being honest? No, I mean, you're, you're, I, I think, and I, I, I do have a degree in nutrition and I don't remember, I don't remember the 80% and I, but I didn't go through the, the last, I didn't get an RD cause I went to medical school. So 80% carbs or eat, t you can eat whatever you want and just take more insulin. It doesn't work. So we know this from looking at CGM data. Um, even though insulin is great and it is, you know, it was discovered in 1922, it is, it is the reason why I'm alive. It isn't, it, it doesn't work perfectly because you're injecting it. It normally, it is secreted by your pancreas and goes to the liver and tells the liver, Hey man, we're cool. And then it gets rid of the sugar in the blood, but it works a lot faster when you're giving yourself injections. The blood sugar goes up at first, unless you give the injection a half an hour in advance. And let's be honest. It is hard to remember to give your insulin a half hour in advance. I I can tell you that I can tell people that every single day, and I could probably write a book on the value of pre-bolusing um, or pre-dosing, and it it's impossible to do in a regular kind of schedule. So eating a lot of carbs, your blood sugar goes crazy high, and then the insulin catches up and brings and brings it down. And that then leads to this kind of huge um, glycemic variability or blood sugar going up and up, down and up and down, which causes stress on the vasculature or um, blood vessels. And it actually cause, causes more oxidative stress in the body and is thought to lead to some uh, problems. And so what we wanna do is keep that those numbers nice and flat. And um, if your blood sugar is going straight up and straight down. It doesn't matter what it is. The next time you test it, if you only test it every six hours, it was the fact that it was up, down in, in the interim, if that makes right. sense. So yeah. the, the eat whatever you want is not, it's not good. And, and also if you eat whatever you want and just take insulin for it, you're going to gain a bunch of weight right. and need a lot more insulin. Yeah. And so can you comment on it about why, why you think in our traditional healthcare system, um, and this is probably why you're getting out and going DPC is why, why do you think that that model gets talked about a lot? Um, Cause I know I have a, I have a son. I mean, I'm sorry. I have a brother and his son um, diagnosed about when he was about 10 years old and 
you know, I told him, I warned him, I said, and my brother's, you know, he's an analytical chemist. He's a very smart guy, knows a lot about nutrition. I told him, I said, Shane, be prepared because you're going to have a dietitian that's going to walk into the room. She's going to be about 100 to 150 pounds overweight. And she's going to tell your son how to eat. And it's going to be all carbs and just turn the insulin pump up. And sure enough, that was what's happened. So can you explain how, why that continues to go on in our healthcare system? No, um, I can't. I, I can tell you that I've the the dietitians that I've worked with, um, I, I've had a really good fortune of working with some ex with excellent dietitians. And so um, and they are practice what you preach all the time, eating healthy, doing doing the so the folks that I've worked with are like, oh geez, I should be eating better than than I am, you know, it's, they, they have those healthy meals with the beautiful salads and the quinoa and whatever. And you're just like, I'm, I should be eating something different. But so for the most part, it's, I, I think that it kind of depends on the training and where they, where they went and what they're doing. I think that that trend of, oh, you can eat whatever you want, just give more insulin. I, I do think that that's being phased out. Um, uh, the, I think that the reason why it was done originally was so that it didn't marginalize or make the people who have diabetes, especially kids feel left out or, um, you know, that they didn't get to experience the joys of youth or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that it is being phased in, an, in a different direction, thinking about the types of carbs and how we're eating and, and, and the different sorts of, um, strategies to make it to where your insulin works a little bit better for you. Um, there are some great resources out there that are published by both dietitians and then general lay people with diabetes about how to keep the blood sugars a little bit flatter, but it's not, whether or not it's fully mainstream, I only have the experience with the, the folks who I work with um, and who I've worked with. And I, I think maybe it's, I just have had really good luck. That's good to know. And and I like hearing that. And I hope we are on a a changing trend with diabetes because I think, um, you know, no matter what kind of drugs you're on, um, there's no way to control diabetes without controlling what you eat and 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 how you exercise. That's, I, that's very, very important. So it's it's really good that you've gotten to, um, you know, meet some of those good dietitians that have have those good ideas. So speaking of patients being proactive, you talk about patients actually demanding more. So I think what you, what your quote was is demand more and pay less. What do you mean by that? So I think that when you go to a doctor, so if you imagine going to get, it's time for your haircut and you're looking through it, like you moved to a new town or there's your barber retired or whatever, and you're looking for someone to do it. Would you go to the ad that says, Hey, I'll charge you a hundred bucks and get your hair done in seven minutes. Would you do that? My husband wouldn't even do that. And his hair is short. Like I have asked, I have asked some of the cheapest people that I know, would you pay for a $7 haircut? And they're like, no. So think about that when you're going to the physician, if you're going, um, ask how much time is being scheduled to, for the physician to see you. Um, you will be, so it, all, it's all about what they code in the traditional healthcare insurance model system. And so I can put in a code as long as I write an adequate note. I can charge you the same amount if I see you in 10 minutes as I, if I see you in 30. I just have to get through all the different checkboxes and get that done. Um, but 
whether or not that's going to provide much value or you're going to actually be heard or your problems are going to be taken care of is, is a different story. And so um, I think when appointments are scheduled, it it's would be smart. It's smart to ask, you know, I want a 30 minute appointment. I want the doctor to be with me for that amount of time. Um, and if your physician is like, oh, I can't do that. Um, I think unless unless it's just to like remove a sliver, find a different doctor. Um, the direct primary care model is really cool because it allows, it, it's basically a subscription service where you're paying the doctor, it's almost like you have a, them on retainer and they work for you. So the patient pays, you can, you come in and you can text them, you can call them, you can do this. And then when it's time for your appointment, they're not like, okay, 10 minutes, I gotta go, see you later. Only can talk about one thing, come back another time, we'll talk about that. There's none of that. We want to make sure that we're taking care of everything as best we can. And it's giving you a lot more value for your for the money and for your time. Because um, you don't want someone who's just kind of breezing over and doing it. You don't want a seven seven minute appointment. No. And great. Thank you for that. And thank you for educating our, our viewers and listeners on that. Because I think a lot of patients don't realize that they really ultimately can control the market. And when I talk about in my book, there's a six-step solution to fixing healthcare. That's one of them is that patients take charge and they find out what doctor charges what and what kind of service they get. It's, it's purely a free market. I believe in free market solutions in most anything. The free market will – it's not the government that's going to change healthcare. It's not the government's going to fix healthcare. They ruined it. Um, it's a free market and patients are in charge. So they should decide what they want to pay. They should decide the service they want to get um, ultimately. And, you know, the free market will fix the solution. And thank you, Dr. Miller, for being part of the solution, because part of the solution is doctors going out on their own and getting out of the insurance based model and the check boxes that you're talking about, because it's truly ripping people off. It's right. it's it's. it's it's overinflated price and it's poor service. And right. um, I'm thankful for doctors like yourself for getting out of the getting out of the the insurance racket. So, um, so with that being said, what drives you? What 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 do you have a passion for? That that could be uh, that could I I have been thinking about that since um, since you asked. And so I mean, what drives me is really is diabetes. Uh, diabetes technology and helping to make, help people to make those connections. Um, I am a giant nerd. And so when I say I love diabetes, man, I love it. I read about it, I research it. When someone tells me something new, I go and research it more. And so helping people to find solutions and to connect that, to make it to where their diabetes management is easier is, uh, is pretty exciting for me. I also like to save money and I love a good deal. So um, awesome, I love it. Yeah, but those are those are some things that really drive me, and I think um, I think I'm hoping that healthcare is going to change. Um, I want to be part of that change. Oh, you are part of the change. There's a revolution. I mean, if you think about it, we had Dr. Lee Gross on our program a few months back. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Gross. Yeah. Um, you know, he's had a DPC practice since 2010, and you know, people called it crazy 10 years ago, and. In our pharmacy, we haven't built insurance since 2002 for the same reason you want to get out of the insurance racket because it increases prices and decreases service. So we've been out of it for you know almost 20 years now, and we got called crazy. And those doctors that first started doing the DPC in cash only and not doing insurance, they got called crazy. 
and now people are following you guys and specialists are I, what i love about it is there's specialists that are going dpc which you know um is is part of it they needed a referral source from the primary care doctors and now the specialists are doing it so i just i love i love the model i think it is the future of healthcare i really do and the free market's going to drive it and my goal with my book and with this podcast is to educate and empower consumers that they're in charge and then ultimately there will be more doctors like yourself um you know go out on their own so um they can take better care of patients so yeah I, and I, I think that that is a really good point it's really important like we can complain about it all we want but patients i mean they need to be out there and demanding it they need to demand more um it's it's their money they're they're paying for this and they're they're getting shortchanged so um hopefully your book will help to to kind of open people's eyes and say hey no man this is not cool i'm gonna i'm gonna ask for this well, and you're part of it too. I mean, you know, um, interviews like this and you getting out and just t telling people about, you know, better ways to find insulin prices, that, that's part of it too. So, so give yourself some credit because you're part of the revolution. I, I, I try. <laughs> so, Dr. Haley, I'm Dr. Miller. How, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, what's the name of your practice? I think you've mentioned it once. And how can people get a hold of you um, in the future? So my practice is Mountain States Diabetes. I am working on the website right now. Um, they can uh, subscribe to my personal website, which is HaleyMillerMD.com. Um, and that is the easiest way to, you know, connect and to know when the practice opens. My practice is going to be somewhat unique in that it's, I do predominantly telemedicine to start with, home visits, and I'll have licenses in multiple states. And so for folks who are interested or who want um, creative solutions for their diabetes or um, diabetes and comprehensive care, they can always sign up and ask questions and see if they like me or not. Awesome. I love that. So what are your parting words? What, what are your parting words that you'd like it, like our viewers and listeners to know today? I, I think my parting words are, if you wouldn't take a $7 haircut, don't take a $7 physician's appointment. Demand a, more. That's oh, awesome. Demand more, pay less. I love it. That's a new motto. You don't mind if I steal that, do you? Nope, you can. That's Good. it. Good. I'll do that. It's yours. <laughs> I love it. All right, Dr. Haley Miller, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, tune in Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. We will have Dr. Rebecca Bernard on. She wrote a book, Patients at Risk. We've talked about, we've had some other guests about on there before about, about this subject, but you don't want to miss it. She wrote a book and uh, it's going gangbusters. Um, so don't miss it. Uh, Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. Um, are patients at risk from not being, to, from not having physician-led care. So you don't want to miss out on that. Dr. Haley Miller, thank you so much for being on today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. Don't miss our episode Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. Thank you for listening. Thanks for having me.